In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, <clears throat> I asked what might be some good topics. And so, the topic is about the roles and the reactions of the apostles after the resurrection, or to the resurrection. And so, um, I think that before we can understand or look at the reaction or the response of the apostles to the resurrection, we have to look at them and examples of their character prior to the resurrection. So during the time of Christ, what were the apostles like? So if we look at maybe some of the famous uh, or common stories, like for example, when, when Christ went and chose the different disciples, like Philip, Andrew, Peter, Nathaniel, um, all these different apostles, every single one was chosen differently. They were all chosen differently. Some were, <clears throat> uh, some Christ went and called. Some simply came because they were influenced by another. <clears throat> but it wasn't cookie cutter. The disciples were all different and how they came to Christ were all in different ways. So for example, St. Philip, if we look at how he came to know Christ, it was by St. Andrew. And how did St. Andrew come to know Christ? Do we know how St. Andrew came to know Christ? Yes. St. John the Baptist told, said, follow him. And he followed, right? So, um, so Philip... That would be, so that's St. Andrew. But Philip was from the same city as Andrew, right? So he had a certain relationship and love and respect for St. Andrew. Even when, when the disciple or when the multitude were hungry and they were looking for food and they went, sorry, no, not the, not the multitude, the, the Greeks. When the Greeks went to ask about Christ, and they went and found Philip. Who did Philip go to? Andrew. He didn't go to Jesus. So it was almost like <clears throat> Philip had a certain association, yes, with Christ, but it was through Phil through Andrew. It wasn't. It wasn't yet his own personal relationship with Christ. And if it was really about like. If the concept was about honor, that, oh, I shouldn't go to Christ, I should go to someone first. Like if Philip felt low of himself or out of humility, he didn't want to approach Christ. You would think that he would go to who? Who would he have to be the mediator between him and Christ? Peter, right? But he didn't choose Peter. He chose Andrew. Again, that gives us... That kind of shows us how the relationship was built off of, <clears throat> was introduced and was growing through Andrew. 
whenever the feeding of the multitude happened, right, the people, Christ was kind of seeing how the disciples were going to react. So what did Philip do? Like Christ asked Philip, you know, what should we do? And what did Philip respond with? What was his approach to <clears throat> to the solution? He said like, uh, he was like counting, like how much it would cost. Like he was like, it's going to cost us a lot if we try to find food for all of these people. So who came in, who stepped in and defended Philip or kind of intervened and kind of stood up for him, for Philip? Because now Christ is like, you're worried about like how much it's going to cost? You're not looking at the bigger picture. So <clears throat> the one that defended him, the one that stepped in and said, oh, oh, by the way, we have uh, these five loaves and the two fish. It was Andrew. So again, this relationship was between Philip and Andrew. Um, <clears throat> so we don't see that Christ necessarily, he doesn't rebuke Philip, at least not until now, or not, not yet. Um, because Christ is very, being very patient with Philip in his spiritual growth. And so, um, how did Philip grow? Again, all this is, again, before the resurrection. Um, at the Last Supper, Philip, who is kind of, who it kind of seems like he's not the type that he's ready to approach Christ, finally asks Christ a question. Finally, opens his mouth. Now, <clears throat> Christ, in that moment, had an opportunity to kind of kind of rebuke Philip of like, because when he asked the question, it was kind of a, like an ignorant question. And so Christ was like, you still don't know me? You still don't know who I am? It was kind of a question of like, you see all this time, you've been, you've been, you've been scared to approach me. All this time you're scared to have a relationship with me. But you're you're focused on but you're definitely close to Saint Andrew. You know him really well. You've been going to him for everything. Right? So so the relationship then it it finally clicked I think in this moment for Philip of like yeah, like that's right. I haven't yet I haven't yet looked towards Christ. And why was this important is because if he's not looking towards Christ, if he's not understanding Christ, then when the time comes for the resurrection, what will he know? What will he know? <clears throat> so, where did uh, St. Philip end up? If we In, in Acts chapter 1, it, uh, he was... Uh, with the disciples and and says that he was with them praying fervently waiting for the holy spirit so even after all that and then christ is no longer with them so then philip maybe because of that moment in which he finally realized that he needed to focus on christ that when christ uh died on the cross and they were waiting for the holy spirit that he knew that he was waiting for something that was of truth, something that was real. 
as Christ had promised. So, we, so that's an example of, of Philip, how there was a change from the moment that he met Christ up until uh, even after Christ uh, died on the cross, until even receiving the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. So St. Andrew, we said earlier that St. Andrew, the way he found out about Christ, the way he went to Christ, was by what manner? was by St. John the Baptist. So St. John the Baptist tells St. Andrew, you need to, like, he is the one you need to follow. And so, thank you. Um, he, so he says, he is the one that you need to follow. So Jesus didn't tell St. Andrew to follow him. But it was John who told him to follow. So Andrew becomes who becomes what the first disciple. Like how imagine imagine the confusion, imagine the um, the insecurity, imagine the like uh, anxiety that Andrew must have faced by being the first disciple to be told by John to follow Christ. Nobody wants to be the first, right? Yes, we would all like to be the first, but no one wants to be the first to, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when we're, in, when we're in school and it's like, okay, who would like to present first? Nobody wants to present first, right? Because then they start, then they, there's some expectations, you don't know what to do and so forth. So this was this, like very similar for St. Andrew. And so... <clears throat> um, this was different than Philip, where Philip, he did receive uh, a calling from Christ. But this is different because Andrew didn't receive a, a direct calling. So, Andrew, St. Andrew had a, had a certain way, right? Again, his relationship with Christ simply started based on obedience, nothing else obedience and nothing else and of course like you know it's it's good for us that that yes we live a life of, of obedience to the commandments of god but we want to know we want to understand things right so uh you know so with andrew this was this was kind of difficult to yes obey but that part was not necessarily hard for him because he's a disciple he was a disciple of saint john the baptist St. John the Baptist is an ascetic, right? So for him, if he's coming from the same school, then, yeah, obedience is like number one. So for St. Andrew, obedience is, it's okay. I'm okay with that. But maybe for others, it's not. But at the same time, now that Andrew is being called to follow Christ and he will be called to be an evangelist, then he needs to know. He needs to know uh, some things and he needs to have that relationship with Christ. But Christ knows this limitation maybe with St. Andrew. Maybe with other disciples, it's not, it's not necessarily an issue. Like, for example, in feeding the multitude, they went to, um, there, were, there were times not the, 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 when the Greeks came, they went to Philip first and not Andrew, which means that who was the one that was exposed to the people more? Probably Philip. So Andrew was kind of, kind of kept himself hidden. So this was how he started his relationship with Christ, where it was simply out of obedience. It was, um, and he, he was kind of reserved, and he was okay with, with starting off that way, but there must have been some 
uh, anxiety or some type of pressure as, for being the, the first uh, disciple. Um, the other thing, too, is that St. Andrew, usually a lot of times, because he was a disciple of St. John the Baptist, that St. John the Baptist was preaching and St. Andrew was kind of there with him. Whereas now St. Andrew was starting to do something a little bit new, a little bit, he was going to step out of his comfort zone a little bit. So now he, he finds that, okay, I know that I need to follow this man. Simply out of obedience, I know that I, know I need to follow this man. And I want others to participate in this, but how can I do it, right? I'm an ascetic, I'm not the type that I like to get out. And So who was the first that he brought to Christ? Peter, Peter his brother. So maybe he didn't go out to the community, but he brought his brother. He brought his family. He brought the people that were closest to him. So this is a, still a change in, who, in how Andrew does things. This is still a change in who he is and the things that he's comfortable with. Um, so... Um, even with, uh, even when Christ met with St. Andrew the first time, he, he kind of like took Christ and went to, and went to, to be with him for several hours in the day. And so part of this was a new, a new aspect of St. Andrew where now he, he, he's going to get to know who Christ is again kind of stepping away from the simply obedience style to now a certain change. Again, shifting to wanting to know now who this, who this uh, Lamb of God is that John told me of. Um, we even see the, the continued growth of St. Andrew when we, we read about his tradition that he would go and he would preach to uh, small to other nations. So now again, comfort out of his comfort zone, an ascetic who would be most likely in the desert most of the time, now is traveling. And but Christ was still like Christ still understood that okay, he can't change like one instant. So even when he went to go preach to other nations, it was it's 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 expressed that he used to meet he used to like preach to small small nations like small areas, right? You would you would you would expect that from maybe an ascetic, whereas you have Saint Peter who preached to three thousand at once and they all were baptized. So. Despite the differences between the disciples, what we find is that there is a change from the time that they meet Christ to the time that there is the, even the point in which he, he, he dies and, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. Um, even if we look at Nathaniel, Nathaniel also comes from the same town as as St. Andrew and St. Peter. And Nathaniel started his relationship with Christ with skepticism, right? Didn't he kind of like, he made fun of the, 
he was like, what good comes from Nazarene? Right? So, yet, he's still, whatever he heard about Christ, there's something intriguing. And so he, me- he meets Christ, and then Christ says, um, he refers to him being under the fig tree. Right? And so, Nathaniel is like, you are, you are like the, like, God, you know, and it's and Christ is like the best, like that's it. This is what triggers you. He's like, you haven't even seen anything. Come and come with me, and you'll see much, much greater things than just uh, me knowing the the secrets of your heart or the secrets of your life. So, um, but it was this skepticism, it was this way of of his life that that connected him with Christ, right? Um, We also know that about uh, whatever, we don't necessarily have a lot of detail of the interactions of of Nathaniel with Christ. But what we do know is that there must have been this more uh, connection, the connection developed because of Nathaniel's intrigue of the mystery of Christ of the miraculous things of Christ, like the prophesying and things like that. But it must have been so strong to the point that he was the first disciple to say, you are the son of God, right? He's the first one to say that. So again, look at how a relationship started with intrigue, skepticism, and eventually turned into being the disciple that was the first to call Christ the son of God. So whatever whatever he sensed was 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 real, he accepted it. He accepted it as something that is real in his life. So again, this was these are examples of some of the disciples, how they changed from the beginning of their relation when they met Christ to the point of the death of Christ. Now we see that Christ knew that the resurrection would have been a very difficult concept for the disciples to understand. So he prepared them. So how did he prepare some of the disciples? In order to, to, to know that way from the, from the beginning, and especially after the resurrection, then they know what they were called for. Right? If, we're, if we're talking about the roles and the reactions of the disciples, but they have to know their role, but sometimes they don't know their role until much later. Same thing with us. Many times we don't realize what we're called to do until later, and then it clicks how God worked in, in our lives prior. So St. James, remember in the Transfiguration, how many disciples were with Christ? Three. Three. Which ones? Peter, James, and John. They were like the closest to Christ. It wasn't, it wasn't about favoritism, but it's like, it's like us. It's like those who, those who desire to really want to be close to Christ, they will be close to Christ. Then Christ makes them his friends, right? So, so the three were the closest to Christ, and they go 
with uh, Christ to Mount Tabor. And St. James, why St. James? St. James was the first of the disciples to be martyred, to be killed for the name of Christ. So maybe you might ask why, why would James be invited by Christ to go to Mount Tabor? Because again, it doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't close to the other disciples. Yeah, they were. But at the same time, there was still a, 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 maybe a, a closer friendship or closer relationship with the three. But, but there, has to have been, there had to have been something that is, that is much deeper than simply, well, they were just close. Because not everything, everything is not just arbitrary or coincidence with God. But St. James was there also for a reason. And maybe that Christ knew that as the first martyr, there has to be a certain conviction of what is to come. There has to be a conviction of a, a, uh, a principle or a concept that no one could understand, which is the resurrection. So James, again, it's like, who wants to, who wants to be the first to present? The pressure is very high. So imagine the pressure of St. James to be the first to be martyred after the resurrection of the, among the disciples. So this, this uh, moment in which he gets to remember the, the, the divinity of Christ encourages him about the truth that he is dying for. That when he saw the transfiguration... And he's being, he's being threatened to be killed for the sake of Christ. That he could say, I remember and I know. I remember and I know and I believe in the truth of the resurrection because I experienced the divinity of Christ. With St. Peter, um, you know, St. Peter like tended to surrender his understanding all the time. Like he tended to, for some reason, like, you know, whenever he, he always spoke very quickly, he always reacted very quickly, very emotionally. And so it was because he didn't un a lot of times understand what Christ was trying to say. So, um, but then what made it harder was that he kind of felt privileged as being like the eldest among the disciples. And, uh, but although that this was, although that this was something of a temptation for him, but he always opened himself, to, he always made himself vulnerable towards Christ. Um, like, for example, like in the Transfiguration, and he saw them and he said, like, okay, let me make, let me make an altar for all three. And then God the Father is like, they hear the, the, the voice of the Father and he's like, listen to him, listen to Christ, because right? he's speaking too fast. Because he has to understand that if you okay if you build if you build three altars then you're saying that the Moses Elijah and Jesus are the same, are equal. Again, he wasn't understanding that this was to reveal the divinity of Christ. Um, but Christ, I mean, but Peter, he always uh, accepted the times of rebuke. For example, whenever he was, whenever he denied Christ, or whenever Christ said, "Get behind me, Satan." All these times, or whenever he he like uh, you know Christ performed the miracle of the of the multitude of the fish, 
he would say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Right? So, this affected, this affected him before, like the way that he was before the resurrection was different than after the resurrection. Um, and we know that Christ looked at Peter in a very special way. Like to really be a leader for the for for the for Christians, for the life of the resurrection, because in the Corinthians, Saint Paul speaks about how the, that the tradition that he carries is that Christ first appeared to Peter before appearing to the rest of the disciples. Right, so there was something special about um, about Saint Peter, and so. Why, after the resurrection, does he choose Peter to be the first one? Because at this point, finally, Peter is more honed in to understand what Christ is saying to him. Because before, it might have taken him a while. But now this was St. Peter's chance, that when Christ appears to Peter first, and then appears to the disciples, then when the disciples start to start to like wonder like what just happened or they start to deny the reality of the resurrection or the truth, then they ask the one who was indicated all along to be their leader. He reveals himself to Peter so that Peter can go to the disciples with confidence in saying that, no, he came to me and he is resurrected. So that the one who was confused is no longer confused. So that after the resurrection, his reaction is that I believe now in the truth. I'm not confused of the truth. And then the last one in the transfiguration was was St. John. And St. John was, uh, was the youngest. And he wrote his gospel like almost 30, over 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. And St. John is always known like for his gospel to be very like, you know, eloquent, like very rich, very kind of poetic. And he expressed the truth differently, not simply by story, by giving an account, because he didn't, he didn't write about the transfiguration, even though he was there. But he wrote, he wrote his gospel based on the reality of the divinity of Christ. His gospel was, was inspired by his witnessing of the divinity of Christ. And not just that, but imagine the youngest disciple. After the resurrection, who is he going to look to? Who is he going to look to 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 feel his to to receive conviction of the resurrection of Christ after Christ is gone? Who will he look to? The other disciples. He'll look to Peter. He's going to look to James. He's going to look to Andrew and Philip. He's going to look to all of them. So now, thirty-five years has passed, and many of the of the great disciples, the 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 older ones have now passed away. So John, being the youngest, you would think that if there was anything to, to question, then, then 
how would he have written a gospel unless the, unless he really felt the truth and not just felt the truth and not just that the truth was revealed to him but that there were other witnesses and that the witnesses lived their life according to the truth in the what, what do i mean by that that the only way that we could really uh that we could really express our um our conviction of the truth is if we're willing to sacrifice our lives. Right? So the fact that they sacrificed their lives, that Peter and Andrew and many of the disciples, that, they, that they're martyred, this is a testament for John that this is truth. Because you can't die for something that you don't believe in. So, so for St. John, his, his role and his response to the resurrection is according to the other witnesses of Christ and how they and how th- how they responded to the resurrection and not only is this about his role and his response but our role and our response right our role and our response that if that if the disciples and the and the gospel is handed to us with with firmness in the truth, then it is our role as well to carry on uh, to continue to be witnesses of the truth. So I want to I want to kind of like like tie this back to like what does this mean for us? Um, we know the disciples were the most simple people, right? The fisherman, tax collector, uh, tent maker, like St. Saint, Saint Paul. Very simple careers, very little uh, educational background. And we see that like throughout, the li- throughout their life with Christ, there were always ups and downs. There were always ups and downs. Times where they were very like zealous in their faith. And then times when they doubted Christ. And then zealous again. And then doubtful again. Even like, for example, imagine people who are with Christ. And then when Christ, after, after however many months or, ye- or ye- over a year or whatever the case is, Christ began to speak to them about him being the bread of life and started to speak about how he, how our life will be in his body and his blood. He began to prophesy that their salvation will be through the resurrection and that their life will be in him and he must dwell in them through the bread and wine. And in the scripture says, and many of his disciples left. So people who invested many, much of their life, they, many even left. So the relationship or the or the the how people is even the disciples were with Christ it was all over the place again it's not cookie cutter they're all from different places doing different things and the dynamic that they have with Christ is each one is individual some are superficial like for example the relationship with Nathaniel had with Christ was superficial in the beginning the relationship that Philip had with Christ in the beginning was based on St. Andrew, not based on, based on Christ. But the idea is that Christ invites us in so many different ways. 
And that's why, like, you know, yes, we fast, and I'm with you. We like to eat steak, but like, whenever it's there's whenever there's always another invitation to come and join him. Like, yes, we follow the same cycle. We follow the same cycles, but we find that this was this was the life of the disciples. Even after the resurrection, there was still a lot of doubt about the resurrection, and they were fighting constantly. They were fighting their their natural their natural inclination to not like because I can't understand this this heavenly life, then I should not believe. No, they fought the temptation. They fought because they still knew inherently what was real. They experienced the transfiguration. They experienced the miracles. They experienced the divinity of Christ. So they can't, as much as it's, it becomes difficult for them, they knew they had to fight. And this is what we're doing in our spiritual life. We have our ups and downs, and we are fighting. Every single day, we are fighting. But it's important for us to understand the, the roles and the, how, the, how the disciples responded to the resurrection. And not even just the resurrection, but how they responded to Christ. Because we shouldn't separate ourselves from the disciples. We should remember that we, are, we participate with them. Like in the Last Supper, the reason why, the, reason why the, table, the table is not, we don't see the end of the table is because we are on the other side of the table. We are with the disciples. We are with Christ. They're not above they're not above us in the sense that oh no they always their faith was always solid from the beginning. Or that they didn't really have issues with with temptations or what our what societal issues that we uh, deal with even today that they didn't have to deal with those things. No, they did and worse. And so the moment that we begin to think that we live in a life that is impossible to live our faith, we're wrong. We're wrong. Because we're called to be the salt of the earth. We're, we are actually called to be in the earth, it, on the earth, in the midst of all the troubles. Because... If the salt loses its flavor, then how shall the earth be seasoned? How can the earth taste good if we're not in it? If, the, if those who, who, who believe in the resurrection of Christ don't live in the world, how can the world have flavor? So when we participate in, in the fast, and on a daily basis, but I'm kind of saying the fast because we're in the midst of, in the middle of, of an important fast for us. But the point is that every morning we should wake up in the fast and we should try to make, to offer a new sacrifice. To do, to make one change towards him. Even if it's the littlest change, but a change. Right? Regardless of how our relationship with Christ started, maybe our relationship with Christ started because my parents told me that this is the right faith. Maybe my relationship with Christ started because, like, you know, I, I got into a major, I, I, like, my life broke apart and, and I had nowhere else to turn to. Or maybe 
uh, one of the saints performed a miracle in my life. Or maybe, uh, you know, I just walked in the door and I just found, I just thought that this place was nice. It doesn't matter how our relationship starts. Sometimes, sometimes we feel like, I wish I would have come to the church if I myself chose to come to the church as a youth or as a young professional. I wish I, why does this become an issue for us? We're all called to come to Christ in whichever way that Christ invites us. However Christ invites us is not my, it's not my place. It's not my place. All I know is that I'm invited. And I'm invited to participate in, in something that even the disciples of Christ, the ones that Christ allowed to be here, like if Christ came and Christ is the creator of, the, you know, he, he, is, he is the son of God and participates in the creation of the world. He doesn't have the ability to, to like line up the 12 most awesome people in the world. 12 of the most educated or talented people. He doesn't have the ability to do that. He picked, he picked the ones that we would perceive as regular people. So that when we look to them and we see their role, that they are the, they are the evangelists of Christ, that we too see that we are called to do the same thing. And it's not impossible. If anything, we are invited to participate with them. All of these saints that we see, and and notice that the twelve the twelve disciples are are always put above everyone else. Where Christ is, where Christ is, and then you have the disciples, not Christ, and then and then like uh, you know people who were the the ascetics, the monks and the nuns. Right? Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we question how, like, can I really have a relationship with God unless I can, unless I live the life of a monastic? But the life we live now is the life that we're called to live. A holy life in everything that we do. In everything that we do. Um, so, again, the littlest things is how we build our relationship with God. There's this, there's this nun who, who speaks about the little way. She's a Catholic nun. She speaks about the little way. And the little way is about how to make the, the little changes in life that reminds me of Christ. Like, for example, you know, one day I'm not used to, like, let's say I'm not used to opening the door for someone else. And I'm like, oh, I want to do something. Oh, I should open the door. What am I thinking about when I do that? I'm thinking about Christ. Like, that's the point of even the fast. Like, the point of the fast is not being at Chipotle and saying, like, should I add sour cream or not? It's that when I make a decision or even I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat, it all, there's a connection, right? I'm, I'm, I'm restricting what I eat because the church has a prescribed fast for me, and the prescribed fast is for me to build a relationship with Christ. So at the end, the point is that when I think about even my food, I'm thinking about Christ. 
When I think about what I'm going to eat, I think about Christ. When I look, when I meet with someone at work and how I'm going to treat them at work, I'm thinking about Christ. Whenever my child does something stupid and I want to figure out how I'm going to deal with them, okay, I'm going to think about like what Christ, what will Christ do, right? Or if I'm going to visit the, if I, if there's, if there's someone who maybe is in need, who's on the street and maybe needs, you know, something that I'm looking to them as Christ. That everything I do, everything I do, I'm looking to Christ. I'm thinking about Christ. That's like it's like the Jesus prayer, right? The Jesus prayer isn't about there being this substantial dialogue with Christ, right? I'm saying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's not just necessarily about that, but it's that my mind is constantly r- racing with Christ in it. That's the point of our life. It's not that I lock myself in a room and I pray all day and this is this is my life. Maybe if you're in, maybe if you are called to be a monk or a nun, but we don't live that way. We have work, we have school, we may have children, we may have like obligations, even social obligations. We may have family obligations, all of these things. And for us to say that when I participate in them, that I don't have a chance to be with Christ is, is, not, is not valid. Even when I'm in those situations, even when I'm socializing, I can have Christ with me. I can be praying. Not necessarily prayer as dialogue, but a living prayer. That I myself am a, a form of prayer. That when I, when I do acts of kindness, I am praying by doing that act of kindness. That when I am speaking kindly or with love or I or I greet someone who isn't usually like, you know, maybe is alone or when I help my spouse do something or child do something that there's there's a sense of prayer in that that I can be speaking to Christ even in the midst of of the things that I do. So um, just to kind of like conclude that the roles, the role of each of the of the apostles and the disciples was to be a, is to be a witness of Christ. Above everything, is to be a witness of Christ and His truth. And um, how they respond to the resurrection is based on, cannot be based on simply what did they do after the resurrection, but what did they do even before the resurrection? And we know that there was change in their life. Change in which, however they began their relationship with with Christ, began to develop into a more intimate relationship with Christ when he uh, he died and, and, and... and rose. And so that's why after the resurrection, it was like, yes, they struggled, but not as much as before the resurrection. Because they had hope in something. And because they had hope in something, then when Christ began to, when things started to play out after the resurrection, it began to click for them the reality. And so they were convicted enough that they could 
that they would die even for the sake of Christ. So, and that's something that we have to that we have to also take care about in our spiritual life is that I have hope in something. They could not have developed in their relationship with Christ unless there was something like something at the end, right? Like you don't like you don't go you don't run a race and there not be like a trophy at the end. That would just be silly, you know, you don't run for that. So, you <laughs> you run if there's going to be a reward. Like St. Paul says, run the race. So, it would have been very foolish for the disciples to follow Christ if there is simply death at the end, decay. It would have been foolish for them to follow Christ if that was it. But Christ said, "No, no, like there is there's a kingdom that I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare for you." There's a kingdom. There's a there's a kingdom that is beyond here that I'm that I'm going to bring you and the only way you can do that is is through me. And I will make it possible for you by the resurrection. So that's why for 10 days that's why they were in the upper room for for 10 days is because Christ is like you really have to believe. And I'm not going to just send you the the paraclete or I'm not going to rise the next day so that you suffer a little bit <laughs> like for three days like you're 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 in anticipation you don't know but they stayed and they're waiting right because as difficult as it is but they knew the truth otherwise they wouldn't have made it even to the point of the of the resurrection they wouldn't have made it but they did it was difficult it was a difficult path but they made it. So we too have to know that there's a hope. Like so, so we have to also too know that there is a there is a kingdom prepared for us. That there is another place, that there's something beyond what we see and what we understand. And if we don't have hope in that, then of course our our path will be very difficult. But when we use the fast as opportunities, then we make changes. And even if the time from now to the even the day that i die i made a very little change it doesn't matter i i find my hope and my salvation in christ and in his resurrection and this is what the disciples cared about the most is the heart where is the heart do i do i do i submit my heart to the will of christ in everything that i do am i constantly thinking about christ and living the 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 life that he called me to live which is the sacramental life the liturgical life the life of love loving him loving my neighbor if i'm living this and i have hope in the salvation then these changes become something that i willingly want to participate in that i willingly will strive for glory be to god forever amen We want to thank you so much for listening to St. Basil's podcast. We hope that you have gained spiritually from our remarkable speakers and we appreciate your support towards this podcast. St. Basil American Coptic Orthodox Church is looking to purchase a home and we would love for you to be a part of our community. We are looking to raise funds towards this novel mission, Orthodoxy in an American Context within the San Diego area. You may donate online through our website www.saintbasil.net 
That's www.stbasil.net or click on the link below and it will take you to our donations page. You may also mail in your contribution at the address located on our website. We thank you for any contribution and may our Lord Jesus Christ always bless your heart and home.